Well, good morning. If you'll join me, we'll go ahead and open up our message in a word of prayer. So, Father God, we come before you, and we're so grateful for the sacrifice that you made as we just remembered it, God, that um, we know now that there is nothing that can come or separate us from your love because it's based on what you did for us. And God, I just pray that as we um, just get ready to open up your word, as we get ready to just uh, continue on in our study of John 3.16, and God, just how much you loved us. God, just use me to speak your words. Uh, Remove anything that might not be from you, and God, let us all just open our hearts to hear what you have to say so that we can just truly experience who you are and how much you love us, and then, God, from that, what you are calling for us to do. God, I just pray that you speak to us here in this time right now, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So in 1992, there was a gentleman named Gary Chapman, and he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Anybody read that book? couple of you. Okay. So that book is kind of based on understanding how or kind of how you you give love and also how you feel or you receive love. And so what Gary Chapman did is he broke this book down into there's pretty much five love languages or five ways that human beings understand love. And so you have the, the first one. These aren't in any specific order, but the first one is acts of service. And so this is either you, you express love by serving people, by, you know, doing the dishes or by making food or by, you know, some form you are serving somebody. It's like, hey, I want you to know that I'm thinking about you. And so I'm going to do something to serve you or you receive it. You really feel loved whenever somebody does an act of service for you. So you have acts of service, you have gifts, which is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, like, hey, I feel loved when people buy me things, or I love to let people know they're loved and that I'm thinking about them by actually buying something and giving it to them. So you have acts of service, you have gifts, you have quality time, which is not just like, hey, we're in the same house. And so, yeah, that's pretty much quality time. But it's like, what we're really going to do is invest in one another. We're going to sit there and talk, or we're going to go on a walk, or we're going to truly spend time together. That would be quality time. And then you have touch, which is just, you know, like an arm around the shoulder or a hug or some form of physical contact that just lets them know, hey, I love you. I just want you to know, you know, a, a hand on the back. I'm there for you. I care for you. And then the last one is words of affirmation. Words like, I love you. You're important to me. You're doing a good job. Something to where you're trying to just spur them on through letting them know through your words That, hey, you're cared for. And to be honest, that one's pretty high on my list. I mean, I like hearing that I'm loved. I like hearing that, you know, hey, you're cared for. Hey, we really appreciate you and everything. But think if that was all that you ever received. I mean, if like you said, hey, words of affirmation, and I'm just going to wipe out the rest of them. That there's going to be no follow-up. There's no, I'm, I'm not going to do any form of service. I'm not going to give you any gifts. We're never going to have any contact. And we're not going to spend time together. But I'm going to let you know, I love you. But it was never backed by action. 
It really would not mean anything, honestly. I mean, eventually it would start to hollow out. And so he actually came up with a test that you can tell or take, and it pretty much tells you what you already know more than likely. Like, yeah, I knew gifts were high on my list, and I knew I never liked telling people I love them by doing service or whatever it is. It's like you can kind of tell what your languages are. But words of affirmation by themselves, by the, itself, really doesn't amount to a lot. Like, usually you're going to find that, like, words of affirmation is the highest, but I'm also pretty close on service or touch or quality time or whatever the other ones are. Like, I'm usually pretty connected. There's, you're not ever, like, 0% on any of those, usually. You might be, like, that germaphobe that is, like, never touch me again. I don't want your germs. But what we looked at last week is God's word of affirmation for us. We've been going through this series on Evangelion, the good news, John 3, 16, which is probably the most popular verse in the Bible. And God says, for God so loved the world. But what if he stopped there? What if that was the end of the verse? For God just so loved the world and it was not backed by action. I mean, true love is backed by action. It has some form of something else that you're, you're committing to it. I mean, what, what I usually say is true love is sacrificial. That is not just empty talk, but it is actually like doing something and dying to yourself. I did a wedding yesterday for my cousin. And it was like, hey, what you guys are doing when you're getting married is you are now making a vow and a covenant to each other and to God that you're going to die to yourself every single day. And you're going to say, hey, I'm going to die to my own selfish desires and I'm going to lift you up daily. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to seek out your betterment above my own. And so last week we saw what God's term of endearment was, or word of affirmation. For God so loved the world. And today we're going to continue on and we're going to see the action behind. This is how much God so loved the world. And if you know John 3.16, it kicked up on the screen there a second ago. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we're going to see that through that, God giving his only son as the ultimate sacrifice, what we're going to look at is that we're going to see God gave us the word of affirmation, and now we're going to see how he gave us the ultimate sacrifice, the act of service. We're going to see that through God giving us that service or fulfilling that service for us, we now get a gift, and then God also wants to touch our lives and then God also spends the most intimate quality time with us. So we're going to fill out the final four of those love languages of the five. We did word of affirmation last week. This week, we're going to continue them out. And so really, if you look at those, like if you were to take that test of what your five love languages are, again, you might have words of affirmation at the top. You might have different things through there. But Jesus tells us, one of those is actually greater than the other four. He actually tells us in John chapter 15, verse 13, he tells us greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for a brother. 
And so I would actually say that sacrificing, and I'm, I'm kind of lumping serving and sacrificing in together. Because usually to serve somebody, you have to sacrifice something. And so that sacrificing and serving is the greatest form of love that you can do. I mean, above all the others, that is the one. Because again, imagine if Jesus just said, I love you and never backed it up, but he didn't. He said, I love you. And then he showed us how much he loved us. I mean, John three sixteen, God said that he so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, think about that. God, the all-loving father, is giving his only son. Like the only one. He's saying, I'm going to offer my son. I'm going to give him to these people that are going to reject him. But I also believe that Jesus so loved the world that he willingly gave his own life. I mean, Jesus tells us, no one comes and takes my life from me. Instead, I give it as a sacrifice. No one is able, you know, Pilate, you're not the one taking my life from me. I'm freely giving it. You know, even when I'm on that cross, I have the ability to call down legions of angels to rescue me. But instead, I'm going to stay up there because I'm going to willingly give the ultimate, the perfect sacrifice. I mean, John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And so there's kind of been this conversation that I've been having with people this week of, hey, did God offer Jesus up or did Jesus offer himself up? And I think it's both. I think that, I mean, in my mind, the way that I play it out is God is looking at humanity and seeing, man, they just cannot be right with me. I mean, they're making sacrifices. It's not working. They're trying to keep the law. It's not working. Over and over, they are not able to be right with me. And so I need a perfect sacrifice. And so, Jesus, you're the perfect sacrifice. And I see Jesus saying, yep, I am. Father, send me. Let me go and give my life. And so it is both in perfect agreement, loving the world. Because you see, there was this chasm between mankind and God. I mean, like it was unachievable. We were, I've been reading this book and it was talking about like, you know, we always like to compare ourselves to each other. And so it's like, hey, you know, I'm doing better than you. And it's really the equivalent of us needing to jump from here to the moon. And then me looking at somebody and being like, you just jumped a foot. I can jump 12 inches, which is also a foot. But it's like, you know, I, I see that and it's, we always compare and it's like, well, I got closer than you. I can get closer than you. And it's like, yeah, but you got the moon that you're shooting for. And we cannot get close to there. There's that chasm that cannot be, be closed. And we're told this in Hebrews 10, 4. It says, for the blood of bulls and goats, it is impossible for them to take away sins. 
And so we're in this constant cycle of, hey, man, I committed a sin. I have to go offer this sacrifice. And that's not taking away my sins. That's kind of giving me a clean conscience with God, making me ceremonially clean. But then I sin again, so I got to go. And it's still not taking my sin away. And then I commit another sin, so I offer this sacrifice. And it's like constantly offering sacrifices. And it's gory and it's bloody and it's nasty, but it's the price that has to be paid, but it never is measuring up. But then we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul tells us this, for our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then he says in 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus himself bore our sins, not his own sins, he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so there's this constant cycle where we're trying to close this gap between us and God and we're not able to. The blood of bulls and goats, it is impossible for them to take away our sins. But then Jesus says, I can bridge that gap. Send me, Father, to be the perfect sacrifice. So that no longer they're needing to strive to be right with us. No longer is it their righteousness, but instead my righteousness will be upon them. I mean, it's the greatest act of love. That God was willing to send his only son and that Jesus was willing to be that sacrifice. That Jesus humbled himself. To go and die an excruciating death. Philippians tells us this. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And not just death, but death on a cross. The most sadistic Way that the Romans who experimented in these things were able to find out how to murder somebody. Not just a, hey, off with your head, it's a quick, painless death. But no, we're going to torture you to the point that most people don't even survive the torture. And then we're going to hang you on this tree and we're going to let you be punctured and you're going to suffocate to death. And just in case you're taking too long, we might break your legs so that the suffocation goes quicker because we have this religious holiday coming up. And so they didn't have to get to that point with Jesus because it was a fulfillment of prophecy that no bone would be broken. But it's like, man, that is like the worst way to die. The Romans were experts at inflicting pain and humiliation upon their enemies. And you know the crazy thing about all of this? It's all while we're sinners. It's all while we're undeserving. Romans 5.8 tells us this. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we're deserving it, but while we are still sinners. I mean, I want you to kind of imagine this in your head. Imagine that you are in this situation where someone is held captive. They're, they're being kidnapped, kidnapped. Now imagine that the ransom to be paid for that person to go free 
is your only child. Like, hey, we have this situation, this person is being held hostage, and they say, the only way we'll let him go is if you let your only child take their place. I mean, how many of you are going to strike that deal? I mean, even if you have multiple children, and you're like, no, I'm not giving up a single one of mine. I'm sorry for the situation that they're in, but I'm not doing that. And then Romans 5, 7 tells us that some might die for a good person, but rarely for a righteous person, one will even dare to die. And so now let's go on further with this situation. Imagine that the person that is being held captive is Timothy McVeigh or Jeffrey Dahmer. Or there was another mass murderer who did some very sadistic things that I can't remember his name right now, but like it was like messed up what he did. Imagine that he's the one that is being held captive and that they threatened your kid, that they hurled insults at you, that they tried having you be one of their victims. And now you're being told, hey, the only way that we're going to let this person go free is if it's your only son. And you're like, I don't even have to think about that. I mean, like maybe for the president, because like they might save other people through their greater good. But like this person, no way, not happening, not even going to think about it. But that's what God did for us because we're not the good person. We're the one that hurls insults at God. We're the one that worships idols. We're the one that turns our back on God all day long. And yet God says, while they are still sinners, I'm going to send my son to die for them. I mean, Jesus said, I will be the ransom in Mark 10, 45. He said, even the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Not because we're righteous, but because God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we who were slaves could go free. Galatians 4 tells us that. So you, because of what Christ did, are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, what Christ did is he did the very thing that our efforts through our own sacrifices, through our own giving, attendance, good deeds, whatever it is, could never measure up to. Christ did that for us. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, when Christ gave his sacrifice, it is what we could never and never can do. I mean, it's pretty much the rocket ship that blasted us up to the moon, and now we can be made right with God. And then with that, though, I mean, it's one thing for there to be this act, but then on top of that, God gives us a gift. He says, not only am I going to sacrifice my son, but I'm also going to do one better. I'm going to give you the gift. Uh, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's like because of that, we know, all right, God's, God's going to stop at nothing. I mean, if somebody said, hey, I sacrificed my only son for you, are you really going to think, yeah, but you're going to stop at the next thing? I mean, it's like, no, there's already the proof that there is nothing that is going to stop them. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so you see, whenever Christ gave the sacrifice, offered up his own life as the sacrifice, God received it, God accepted it. And then it's available to us to receive and when we, when we receive it, we get a gift with it. I mean, mercy, look at this. Like mercy is Jesus dying on the cross so that we don't have to die. I mean, that's what mercy is. That, that you don't have to pay that price. Grace is God saying, now I'm gonna give you one more. I mean, imagine that you got arrested. And you're standing there before the judge and you're about to have to serve life in prison. And as you're standing there before the judge, the judge is like, hey, you know what? Your, 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 your fee, whatever it is, your time has been paid. That's mercy. You don't, you don't have to go to jail. That's mercy. But then imagine the judge saying, but also here's the keys to my mansion. Here's the keys to my Lamborghini. Here's the bank account information to my stuff. Here is everything that I have. Hey, I want you to come and live with me. I want you to come and be a part of my family. That's grace. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is like, hey, I'm just gonna heap so much more stuff upon you. I love the way that Matt Smether said it. He said the gospel changes heaven's courtroom from a criminal trial to an adoption party where we're supposed to be found guilty, but instead we're being told, hey, welcome to the family. You are loved. You want to know how much you're loved? I gave my only son to pay the price that you were supposed to pay. I mean, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 tells us this. Doug read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It is the gift of God. What do you do to receive a gift? I mean, so imagine that I had a $100 bill up here. And I said, hey, here you go. Here's $100, it's yours. But in order for you to get that, I need you to come weed eat my yard, mow my grass, paint my house, pressure wash my fence, clean out my car. I need you to do a whole lot of things in order to get that money. It's like, well, that's not a gift anymore. I have to work for that. That's a job. That's a salary. That's a, what the Bible tells us, a wage. And Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. All your hard work, all your effort, all your striving, it's earning you death. But now imagine that I took that same $100 bill, or make it a billion dollars, let's go with that, and I just gave it to you. And I said, here you go. All right, what do I have to do? Nothing. It's yours. Yeah, but I mean, you want me to do something? No. It's a free gift. How do you receive that gift? How do you take that gift into your possession? You just reach out and accept it. 
That is the only role you have to play in your salvation, is the reaching out and accepting what Christ has fully offered to you. But sadly, too many people are seeing that and they're like, "Mm -mm, I don't want it. I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to receive it. I reject that gift. But it's still offered. But I don't want it. I'm going to constantly reject it. I mean, Romans 6.23 tells us, But the free gift of God is eternal life. So our working is earning us death. But God is offering this free gift of eternal life. And it's because of God's sacrificial love that we can receive the ultimate gift of eternal life. And it's received by faith. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That you believe that God is who he says he is and will do everything that he says he will do. So this is what faith is. Faith is the understanding that there is this giant chasm that I have to jump from here to the moon. And I can never do that. Faith is the understanding that my little white lie, my little stealing a pencil, my little, whatever little I want to call it, put Christ on that cross. That my little sin was deserving of the ultimate death. But faith is that no matter how hard I try, I can never make it to the moon. But God has offered me, we're going with the rocket analogy, God has offered me a rocket named Jesus. And all I have to do is receive that my ticket's been paid and I hop in that rocket and I'm going to the moon. Any Dogecoin fans? That goes through my mind every time I think of that. None? All right, wrong crowd. But faith is the belief that Jesus is the only way. Not my hard work, not anything else. I mean, 1 Peter 2.24 tells us, by his wounds, you have been healed. Not by your efforts, but by his wounds, you have been healed. That's the free gift that we get, eternal life with Christ. But also, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, we then get the language of touch. We get to feel God's presence in our life. When we place our lives in Christ, he touches our hearts. I mean, look at the ministry of Jesus, where he's going through and like, if somebody was sick, you were told don't touch them. If they had leprosy, you were told to stay six feet. And if there's a wind, stay even further away from them. If they were dead, don't touch. Over and over, They were told, don't touch. And what Jesus did is throughout his entire ministry, he is placing his hand upon people that really aren't supposed to have their hands placed upon them. I mean, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever and like it's not going away. Jesus touches her hand and she is healed. Look at all the lepers who are told, stay away. When they enter into a place, they have to say, unclean, unclean. And Jesus touches them and they're made clean. I mean, he touched the lame. He touched the eyes of the blind. He stuck his fingers in the ears of the deaf. He brought healing upon healing by touching people. But you want to know something? 
every healing that he did in his earthly ministry, that person ended up losing their vision again. They got old and it got blurry. That person that he touched and raised from the dead ended up dying again. That person that he touched and lifted them up so that they could walk, their body started aching again. Those who were sick and healed got sick again. And ultimately, every single one of them died. His earthly touch was temporary. But the thing is, when he gave that ultimate sacrifice, he then comes and gives us an eternal, permanent touch. Where he wants to come and not to just touch the physical, he wants to touch the spiritual. The part that, yes, this body will decay, but my soul will live on forever. We're, we're able to experience Jesus' loving touch on our hearts, a miracle that will never end. Ezekiel 20, uh, 36, verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And then he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You know, this is an eternal touch. Like touch is a huge part of human life. I mean, just think about our judicial system and the way that America has decided to punish criminals. I mean, the ultimate way that they can punish you is by taking your life, the death penalty. But beyond that, or not beyond that, just below that is life in prison. But even life in prison, they have a more uh, severe punishment for people. And it's called solitary confinement. So like if you get put in life in prison, you might be able to go to the yard. You might be able to go to the cafeteria and, you know, still have some social interaction. But then if you start being really unruly, they're like, all right, you have to go be totally isolated. No touch, no contact, no physical interaction or human interaction at all for this set amount of time. You know, there's actually records of criminals, like hard, hardcore criminals who go into solitary confinement. They stay there for a designated amount of time. And when they come out, the guard will put his hand on the criminal's shoulder and that criminal just collapses weeping because he went without touch and then he received human touch again. And God is saying, hey, I want to touch not just you physically. I want to touch your heart. I want to come inside of your life and just dwell among you and take what is dead and bring life to it, as Doug talked about. Take your dead bones, bring life to them, and then give you a purpose. I mean, Jesus, he healed the sick of illness, but he heals us of our spiritual ailment, sin. The, the one disease that totally leads to death. He gave sight to the blind and he gives sight to our spiritual blindness to see him. He raised the dead, but he wants to raise our dead souls and give us new life. That's the touch that God wants to give to us. So we have the ultimate act of service. And accompanied with that is we have the gift that we can receive called eternal life with Christ. And then he wants to touch our lives. And then the last one is quality time. And because of the sacrifice that Christ made, we get to have the most intimate 
quality time with God that has been known throughout all history. Because this transformation that God wants to do in our lives, this touch is not, again, external, but it's internal. 2 Corinthians 4.16, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God wants to come inside and he wants to touch our hearts and he does that by living inside of us. By dwelling, as Kurt said, we are his temple. You see, I've heard it said before, it's not accurate, but just go with it, that when we get to heaven, we're going to be talking to, you know, Abraham, and we're going to talk to Peter, because Abraham got to actually talk to God and hear God speak back to him, and then like Moses had the burning bush experience, and then Peter and all the disciples literally walked with Jesus. I mean, John placed his head on Jesus' chest, and it's like, man, to know Jesus in that way. And so when we get to heaven, you know, it's going to be like, man, Peter, John, like you guys, you guys got to walk with Jesus. How cool was that? Like you saw him doing all of these miracles. You saw him spit in mud, touch it on a guy's eyes, and then he could see like, wow, how cool was that? And then Peter and John and the disciples are going to look back at us and be like, man, like that was cool. Yeah. But you guys had Jesus living inside you. Like he took up permanent residency in your life. Like he dwelled among you. How awesome is that? But you know what? We don't really get excited about that very often because we don't fully understand the Holy Spirit. It is, in my opinion, the least, (laughs) let me read what I said. It is the, I don't even know what I said. The the least understood, the, the least appreciated aspect of Christianity, I would say. I mean, it's like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. That's great. Like, I understand that. And then it's like, but I got this Holy Spirit thing and I don't really get it. And so because I don't understand it, I'm not going to utilize it. I'm not going to rely on it. I'm not going to realize how much power truly comes with that. You see, when you place your faith in Christ, he dwells within us. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then he says, you are not your own. You have been bought at a price. The Holy Spirit, the least understood aspect of Christianity. But Jesus tells us it's actually like one of the most powerful aspects I mean, in John chapter 16, Jesus tells us, hey, I have to go. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is actually to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper is not going to come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so Jesus is like, hey, my presence here, it's just here. But when I leave, there's going to be one greater than I that is going to come and he's going to dwell in each and every single one of you. He's going to set up camp and he's never going to leave. And he's going to give you power and he's going to give you courage and he's going to work through you. Look at Peter. He 
walked with Jesus for three years. And man, insert foot in mouth multiple times. And running away, denying Jesus, being a coward. Look at all the other disciples. At least Peter followed Jesus. The other disciples fled and hid. And yet after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came upon them, every single one of those were willing to die a horrible death. And it's not because of who they were and it's not because of their own power. It's because the Holy Spirit set up shop in their lives. I mean, look at what Paul tells us in Romans 8, 11. If the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you have received the eternal gift of salvation in Jesus, that spirit lives in you. The minute you place your faith in Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit. If that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I I want you to just understand this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, conquered the grave, lives inside of you. The same spirit that conquered the grave, rose Christ from the dead, is alive in you. I mean, that should give us like the courage to go storm the gates of hell. I mean, like, we should be ready. Like, all right, let's go. Like, I'm going out into the mission field. It's a freaky thing out there. But you know what? I got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Bring it on, world. Like, let's go, people. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so often we think, yeah, but he's like in the very back, you know, that used to have those Ford Pintos and everybody's looking in the rear view, like looking away. That's where we're putting the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah, you can come along on the ride, Holy Spirit, but enjoy the back, back seat. And it's like, no, let's put the Holy Spirit, God, in the driver's seat. And then let's just go wherever he leads. I mean, it's like Dale Earnhardt Jr. as your co-pilot, not even, as your driver. I mean, you know, you put him in a car and have him start doing donuts, I trust the dude. You put me in a car and start doing donuts, we're going to be upside down really quick. But the Holy Spirit is leading us and we are called to follow because when you believe, you are sealed. I mean, that's what Ephesians tells us. Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you believe in the sacrifice that Christ made, when you believe that Jesus is the only way for you to be right with God, he says, here is my Holy Spirit. And it is quality, quality time because it is forever. And he knows everything about you. And he says, I love you. Let me work in you. Yeah, let's, let's refine that part. It's a little messy of your life, but you know what? Let's make it better. Let's improve it. Let's keep walking in faith. I mean, the Holy Spirit is living in you. It is guiding you. It is working you to live for God who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so it's in that action of God giving his son, his son, That he fulfilled every aspect of love that we understand. 
Because he showed us the sacrifice that he was willing to make. And with that, he's giving us eternal life. Giving it. You, not, you do not have to earn it. And he's saying, hey, I don't want to be distant from you. I want to come and I want to touch your heart. And I want to reside with you forever. Until you're called home and we get to see God as he truly is. We get to see the un, our, our unadulterated view of God. Like we can stand there and just be like, my God. My God, I love you. I want to live with you forever. And the only way that is possible is again, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, that is available. It says, whoever, we're covering that next week, whoever believes in him, if you haven't placed your faith in him, he is saying today is the day, here and now, receive the gift. I've already offered it up to you. Receive it and then watch what he will do as he transforms you from the inside out. But if you're not walking with him, He's offering that gift. And it's your rejection of that gift. It's that rejection where God is saying, I give you everything. And you're saying, I don't want it. That is the only thing that keeps you from receiving that gift. Is your own rejection of it. And so if you have a decision to make, just, man, I pray that you truly spend this song that Kurt is going to lead us in. You spend it praying to God. That you give your life over to him and live for him in all your ways because it is the greatest thing ever. I mean, yeah, this world, it's got so much to offer us. It is dust compared to what God has to offer us. Don't roll around in the dirt and miss out on the precious life that God has for you. If you'll pray with me, Father God, thank you. For not just using words, but God, you displayed your love for us. And God, you have, you have given us so much and we just love you. But it's not even close to the amount of love that you have for us. And God, as I've been praying through this whole series, may we not just know your word, but God, may we truly experience your love. That if there be anything that we are trying to separate us from you, that we're saying it's not for that, it's not for that. God, let us see that you sent your son to die for us because of love. And God, if there's anybody here who has not placed their faith in you, who has not received the gift of salvation, God, give them the courage to just receive it and then walk in faith. We love you, God. Just do the work that you are doing. And it's in the name of Jesus. Stand with me this morning and we're going to sing our song of invitation is going to be number